You're listening to the Weekend Collective Podcast from Newstalk ZB. So at the start of the uh, the coalition government, Christopher Luxon unveiled his 100-day plan to push through policy changes um, following the first cabinet meeting under his coalition government. He described it as hugely ambitious. Um, now it's coming to, well, on Friday, National's 100-day plan will come to an end. But have they achieved everything that they set out to? Um, most of the actions were to repeal a lot of what Labor tried to push for in the last government and cut what they described as wasteful spending. Anyway, to talk to us about those hugely ambitious targets and the 100-day plan and other things, Finance Minister Nicola Willis, Willis joins us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Tim. Great to be on the show. Thank you. Um, 100-day plan, what's left to do? Well, there's about a half dozen actions to close out and we're on track to do that this week. Uh, you'll see uh, a few more pieces of legislation introduced uh, as we've committed to in the plan uh, and there's a few decisions for Cabinet to make on Monday but we're on track with getting New Zealand back on track. What, you, what, what is the point of a 100-day plan? Obviously it's a great headline but what, what is it for you and Government? Well look, it's been a really useful tool for driving quick action because by Ministers making it very clear what we want to deliver in a quick period of time. It's been a great device for driving agencies and officials to get in behind our agenda. And what it's forced ministers to do is instead of sometimes saying, oh, let's take another two or three weeks to think through all the detail and look at all the options, instead they've had to say, well, this is a priority. It's in the 100-day plan. The Prime Minister has promised it will be delivered. Better focus on doing that straight away. So it has, I think, meant that we've delivered quicker, we've got results quicker, and we're turning the ship around quicker. Well, how do you keep up that momentum then? Because it almost feels like, oh, 100 days, like uh, we can take it easy now. <laughs> yes, well, it's a really good point because the Prime Minister has observed how quickly we've managed to get things done. And he's heard the feedback from agencies who've said, wow, you know, your, your government is operating at pace. And he's got a real taste for it. So, He's asked all of us ministers to think about what we are going to achieve each quarter, so every three months, and to make uh, those objectives clear to him. And I'm pretty sure he's got an idea about having another uh, similar thing to a 100-day plan coming up after this one, because he is a man who wants actions delivered. He's not really into all the talk. He wants to see results, and so he'll be setting us all clear targets. Speaking of, uh, I guess, things that are passed or moved on with a bit of urgency, obviously um, in the past you have, uh, the, the in, in opposition, criticised Labour for its use of urgency, but you have also used it yourselves this time uh, to make some pretty big calls in cancelling the Maori Health Authority, I think among other things. What's your response to the use of urgency um, in this 100-day plan? Well, we've used urgency where we think we have a very clear electoral mandate to make change. So you saw us use urgency, for example, in reversing Labor's plans to introduce three waters reform, which would have confiscated local assets and introduced uh, very complicated co-governance structures. You've seen us use it in relation to the Māori Health Authority and other issues where we campaigned on a clear message. Uh, we wanted to make those changes quickly uh, and by using urgency we've been able to give New Zealand certainty and clarity that that change has happened. So where you've got a really clear mandate from the electorate, I think it is acceptable to use urgency. Where there are novel issues that arise and new things, then Sometimes it can be warranted to take a bit more time with legislation to put it through 
uh, very full select committee processes. But in the instances of these things, simple stuff, we campaigned on it, we're getting it done. With the Māori Health Authority, what sort of assurances can you give to many of leaders within Māoridom who are concerned, who expressed their opposition to it or concern at the cancellation of it? Uh, how are you going to approach the issue of Māori health without that authority? I'll just start by saying we share the motivation of Māori leaders and in fact many New Zealanders to see Māori health outcomes improve. The question is, what's the best device for doing that? And we don't accept that a big, new Wellington-based bureaucracy in the form of a separate Māori health authority is actually the best thing for getting more kids immunised, for getting more people operations and making people healthier. Instead, our approach is a much more community-focused one in which we empower local decision-making so that we can actually have Māori organisations on the ground with proven track records of getting better health outcomes making decisions about how to deliver health services uh, to the people uh, in need. So, look, this is just basically about getting rid of a bureaucracy, but let's absolutely continue that drive to better Māori health outcomes. We mm. want to work with Māori to achieve that. So you've got less than two months until budget. It it's, feels like a long time, but I would imagine you've got a fairly, fairly good picture of what you're going to need to do and what it's going to look like. How close are you to having a really good idea about what budget's going to look like? Well, we're working very hard on it. We are right in the crux of decision-making with ministers meeting regularly uh, to discuss the pressures that are on the frontline services we want to deliver, discussing how we're going to deliver on our coalition commitments, discussing what we're going to prioritise in really difficult financial times because, as you know, uh, the economy uh, is in a difficult spot at the moment because both high inflation and high interest rates have made it hard uh, for both working people and for businesses. That means we've inherited a set of books that are pretty challenging. So we've got to do a few things. We've got to address that cost of living as we campaigned on doing, including with some tax reduction. We've got to make sure that where we are spending government money, it's going right to the frontline services and not getting wasted in the back office. And we've got to make sure we set out a path that gets New Zealand's government books back in order so that this is a stable economy into the future. So I'm working on it on a daily basis. It's really important work, but I'm in it together with a cabinet who are completely mm. focused on those goals. Is there a particular priority that stands out when it comes to making those tough decisions? Because we can talk about frontline services, but infrastructure is just the, the demands that we need of what we need to spend are massive. Yeah, they are. Look, on infrastructure, one of the things that's become really clear to me is the last government had a habit of signing off on big projects without a real delivery plan in place. And so I think one of the most important steps that we're going to take as a government is cutting through that consenting process by introducing a fast-track process, which will literally take months and months of delay off major projects, will reduce the cost of them and give more certainty to everyone involved. And I take that example because sometimes to do things better, it's not just about writing a bigger cheque. It's looking at what is the red tape that gets in the way? What are the things that are stopping things happening in a cost-effective uh, manner? But, you know, the question you asked was about mm. tough calls. Yeah. And one of the tough calls we've had to come in and make is look at the size of the public service as a whole. You know, where government agencies have had 30% increases in headcount overall, 
Uh, and we've looked at that and said, look, that's just not in line with the experience that New Zealanders have had. They've seen that big increase in spending, but they haven't seen that big increase in results. So we are taking that disciplined decision to say, let's do some cost reduction in the back office of those public agencies so we can drive more dollars into New Zealanders' pockets and into the front line of the public services they are looking to receive. Okay, on a different topic, um, Claire Trevette has written a piece about the Premier House. It's a bit of a dump, isn't it? I think it's a building in need of maintenance. Would you live there? I'm not saying are you after the job that would put you in there, but I mean, if it was up, to, if, if if it was an option for you, would you be living there or would you choose your own accommodation? Well, it's a weird question for me because I've got four <laughs> kids and we oh, actually are from okay. Wellington. So, uh, you know, at the point that uh, there was ever any question of me living in that house, I'd probably stay where I was, right? Because <laughs> I live in Wellington and losing four kids is a bit of a drama. Is, is it a bit of an embarrassment for a country like ours to have the sort of discussions in the media and cricket players talking about, you know, what a lousy um, sort of a piece of accommodation is? Maybe that's lousy is a bit too harsh. But isn't it an embarrassment our Premier House isn't something that we can be proud of? Look, I think it reflects um, the concern that successive politicians have had, whether Labour or National, which is while we can all happily put aside money to keep up Government House, which is where the Governor-General uh, has the official residence, and everyone feels comfortable about that. No politician really feels comfortable about signing a cheque for many millions of millions of dollars to look after a house for the Prime Minister. And that reflects the fact that we know New Zealanders watch us carefully. Mm. We know New Zealanders understand we are better paid than the average worker, that we should be doing our jobs out of a sense of public service. And so I think no politician wants to be seen uh, to be writing cheques to benefit themselves. And that's made it a really difficult issue over the years. But as mm. any of us have uh, ever owned a property know, if you don't maintain things over time, yeah. it gets worse and worse and worse. And I think that's where we are today. Do you think the beat up on Chris Luxon was fair, given that plenty of politicians use that allowance to pay for their second residence? Look, plenty of politicians do use that allowance. And he made a really quick decision on Friday to not only stop using it, but to repay it. And I think uh, people will observe that uh, and everyone will have their own opinion on it. Uh, but he made a decision that sits well with his conscience, so good on him. OK. Uh, Nicola Willis, I really appreciate your company. Uh, your, your, not your company, sorry. So I really appreciate your time uh, this afternoon. Thanks very much. For more from the Weekend Collective, listen live to News Talk ZB weekends from 3pm or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.